0: All that went away when we went online. So how do we create the space to do it again? We have to be intentional about it. And what we've seen is if we actually play together, take that social bonding connection, amplify it tenfold. And here's the reason.
1: Welcome back everyone to the Geeks, Geezers and Googleization show the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence
2: of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran.
1: And welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Geek, Skeezers, and Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf.
3: And I'm Jason Cochran. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And if you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the heart and soul of crucial conversations focused on helping you reimagine your tomorrow and exploring the convergence of technology, people, and business.
1: Jason, I can't think of a more crucial conversation than the one we're going to be having today. Many of our Googleization Nation listeners likely have two things on their mind, actually, three things probably on their mind. Inflation resignations and remote work. And that's what we're gonna be talking about. And all of them seem to be out of control uh, and not in a good way. Uh, We've got rising gas and grocery bills. Just this morning we heard about inflation, you know, eight and a half percent last month. It's hitting consumers' wallets pretty hard. And then just last week, uh, we had a record number of employee resignations again. We've had over 60 million people quit their jobs over the last year, and companies are still trying to figure it out. They're still wrestling with this hybrid, remote, in-person struggle. And so we're gonna be talking about fun and games, and that sounds like an odd combination when we're talking about how do we solve remote work problems and resignations, and we're not gonna, we don't have the solution for inflation. We'll leave that up to some people a lot smarter than us. Um, But a lot of people have been through a lot of different webinars and digital business meetings, but I'm not sure anyone is describing them as fun. And so we're really excited today. We're going to have Scott Novus, who's got a, a company called Game Truck, but we're going to be talking about a lot of other things. And it's going to be, how does how does he help companies make remote work, not, not necessarily fun, but engaging, productive, uh, overcoming the hurdle? And you've heard me, and our listeners have heard me say this a long time. It's not, it's not digital communication. It's not remote work that's the problem. It's managers and leaders' inability to manage remote work. And Scott's got a really interesting background. He's uh, worked in the gaming industry, video gaming industry for years, even had a stint at Disney. So he's going to bring a lot to the table here and uh, super excited about getting him on board.
3: Yeah, I'm excited for this episode today, Ira. You know me, I love video games. In fact, I almost went to the basement to find my original Nintendo, blow off the old cartridges, and get them ready for today. And uh, I don't think I'm the only one. The gaming industry is expected to make $176 billion in revenue just this year. And the eSports industry is consistently growing 30% year over year. Um, And it's not just in leisure activities anymore either. I think the exciting thing is that we're starting to see gamification start to come to software solutions in human resources, primarily in employee recognition solutions and learning management solutions, but it's also being used now in sales and customer support. And the results are promising, showing that customers are more satisfied and more engaged when there's gamification of some kind being involved. And uh, turns out uh, people engage more when things are fun. Who knew, right? And don't even get me started on the future of gaming in Web3. I mean, people are actually going to be able to earn crypto and other monetary rewards, playing video games, completing tasks, learning and growing at work. In a nutshell, if you've seen the movie Ready Player One by Steven Spielberg, it really seems like this is the direction things are headed when we think of enhancing experience and engagement around the world.
1: Yeah, what's really interesting if you think that Scott's just a a gamer who was sitting in his parents' basement for a number of years, uh, you know, playing on that he has quite an eclectic background. Uh, He has two, two engineering degrees. Uh, He spent decades as a video game executive, he worked as a Disney executive. Uh, and then he founded game truck and we're going to be hearing about game truck today uh which is really taking off and it's a nationwide franchise company that provides social gaming spaces for children at parties and special events but especially using it for work uh so really excited to bring on scott and i guess without further ado let's bring him on hello scott
0: (laughs) hello uh so thank you for having me on your show
1: looks like you're in your gaming chair (laughs)
0: <laughs> I am, as a matter of fact. I've got my uh, my gaming chair. Um, when you spend a lot of time in front of a computer camera, you want to be comfortable, you know. So I, I, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, it's funny. Like at the office, we had the Herman Miller chairs, and as soon as we uh, went remote, we're like, everybody get a gaming chair.
1: <laughs> so let's just dive in. I know we, we're 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 excited about hearing this, and I'm sure many of the listeners are as well i know you've got uh, you have a couple companies but i know the one you we're going to focus on today is game truck so tell us a little bit about that and and especially how it relates uh to the the work the, the new work experience
0: yeah for sure um i mean you know we game truck is a franchise we're all over the country most famous for kids video game birthday parties but what we started seeing particularly this year is a rising demand for companies that are trying to get back in the office. And it got weird, right? Like the whole, like the strained relationships about what's happening. And when people think video games, that's like one of the number one things I hear so often is like, I'm not a gamer. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, what game are you thinking of when I talk video games? And usually it's like people go, oh, Fortnite or Madden or whatever they've seen. And what we focus on is these really interesting niche of games that are cooperative games. So these are games where you're not competing because like we went through this at my own company. Cause you know, we were like, go home. You know, nobody's coming back to the office for months. And we thought we had a handle on it. Like we're pretty good at technology. We're gamers. And one of my best people resigned. I was like, what the heck? And it was in his exit interview he said none of this has anything to do with me and i realized all we were doing was working every meeting everything we did it was only work it was only transactional and ira how much time do you spend talking to somebody at a drive-through oh we don't go through drive-through anymore we call uber eats or we call doordash and they come up to our house like a ninja drop the food and run away i've literally seen them sprint away so there could be no interaction whatsoever we turn transactional relationships into apps. And I'm like, that's not the company I wanted to have. So we had to like figure out like what's happening to us and why, and the, the big key that you don't need video games to do this, I just think you could do it best with video games, you have to create three things. Synchronization, we're all doing something similar. Unstructured unplanned conversation so we can meet each other and new shared memories. Those things all go together really well, and they're double energized if we're having fun together. So that's the problem we have to solve. We used to get that in the office when we'd go to lunch. Remember that? We'd sit around for 10 minutes and argue about what we're gonna eat. How can so many smart people have such a hard time figuring out how to do this simple thing? But it was a social cue. It was a bonding cue. It was a shared memory. We'd laugh about it as a taco, a sandwich. I don't, you know, these crazy, dumb arguments. All that went away when we went online. So, how do we create the space to do it again? We have to be intentional about it. And what we've seen is if we actually play together, take that social bonding connection, amplify it tenfold. And here's the reason. When you play a video game, it demands too much of your your prefrontal cortex. The cognitive load is too high, you can't fake it. You get authenticity for free. It's virtually impossible to be somebody else and play a video game. You only can play as yourself. So if you jump into a cooperative game with other people on your team, you get vulnerability virtually for free. The people more authentically connect, the more authentically bond, they do it faster. So that's one of the reasons I'm a huge fan of using video games to help people reconnect, resynchronize and remember why they like working together.
3: That's absolutely fascinating Scott what you shared there in terms of how people kind of let their guard down whenever they're they're playing video games and they show their true self in those situations. I can share and attest to that, that unfortunately the ugly side of Jason Cochran um, would sometimes come out playing video games. Rumors has it maybe there would be some remote controls that uh, that would go across the room.
0: But- A rage spike every now and then, yeah. Right,
3: exactly, exactly. But, <laughs> but that's really fascinating what you shared about the prefrontal cortex and how it kind of helps us let our guard down and be who we are in authenticity. And like you said, we need more of that today. And if there's ways we can do that with the gaming types of things and environments that you provide, then we need to start bringing that into work.
0: There's a caveat, because one of the things that I, I, I do want to acknowledge is that a challenge we have that I think remote work exacerbated is the default relationship in corporate America is competitive, which is exactly the antithesis of vulnerability, So the problem you have is if you become hyper competitive and most people think of video games, they think of esports and hyper competition. You're going to shut down vulnerability. And what do you lose? You lose creativity. You lose cognitive work. You lose resiliency like it is. If you poke somebody in the self-doubt and what I mean by that is in Western culture, we've been raised with this idea that I will be accepted when I prove my worth. And if you take Eric Horowitz's book and what you do is who you are, well, who are you? If you don't know what to do and you're not sure you can do it. And now if you're not sure you can prove your worth, will you be accepted? It's almost become easier to leave than deal with the difficulty of this is too hard. I'll start over again. And almost like a college freshman restarting their English paper every time instead of going back and doing the hard work of editing it, they just start again and you're starting to see that train gather momentum. And what we get is if we pull back from that, okay, get away from that fight or flight response, get away from reactivity, and we can actually let people take a breath and calm down. And they're like, what we're really feeding is this deeply human need to be seen, heard, known, and accepted. And if we can create that umbrella, that's what psychological safety is. It's an umbrella that protects us when we don't know, but we can learn. And it's about shifting our culture to one where, oh, we can learn together. You know, this is why play is so important. We're wired for it. A guy named Yak Panskip found the neural circuitry in the brains of rats. We have it too. Because play teaches us how to learn and not be overwhelmed by failure. It Albert Einstein said, if you're not making mistakes, you're not doing anything new. So that's the biggest fear. When I send out surveys and I work with teams, I do a workshop called Culture Kitchen and we walk people through what is you the impression management and how emotions interfere with teamwork. And then it goes to why that happens to us and what you can do about it. But it gets down to this, when we shut down, look, change is going to happen to you. We all know it. Are you gonna embrace it? Are you gonna get dragged there kicking and screaming? And I personally believe that a part of this great resignation that's happening is people saying, uh, I'm, I'm opting out. I'm going to just going to change and go somewhere else where I don't have to deal with that kind of pressure. And if we can make a safer environment, I think more people are going to stay. I've seen it in my organization. I've seen it where and I think there's a huge opportunity, especially if you are a remote company. The people that master this, that can do hybrid and remote where you're giving people the best environment for them to be productive, they're gonna have access to the best talent in the world. I now employ, instead of only people in Arizona, people all over the country work for me. I've got an amazing team. And that's the opportunity that I think is available for your listeners is, you know how do you craft it so that you're winning this battle? So you're on the leading edge of it. How do you create that environment where people are like, yeah, this is where I wanna be. Um, I keep coming back to it's gotta be fun. It's not enough for it to just be uh, a grind. Yeah, you get paid well, and maybe the work's meaningful. But if it's not personally satisfying, and you can't have that connection, um, I think it's temporary. We see it in professional sports all the time. We love to idolize professional sports. What's the turnover there? Most companies couldn't tolerate the turnover professional teams have. And the only reason they have it is there's a cast of thousands of people at every level trying to take those. There's only 750 professional baseball jobs. How many professional basketball jobs? There's tiny, tiny fractions. Most organizations, nonprofits, businesses, they don't have a line of 5,000 people applying for that job. They can't tolerate that level of cutthroat competitiveness to excel. I tend to think of companies like Pixar, man, like that was one of the greatest things I ever got to do is work with Pixar. Imagine this culture, they will argue passionately and it's never personal because they're always committed to getting to the best outcome. And when they get there, it is like a huge win for them. And they love where they love what they do. They love who they work with and they produce
1: work that their customers cherish. Wouldn't you love to have that in your company? Yeah, so Scott, what, what does that look like? I mean, how do you build this within the company? How do you take what you've built for you and what you've learned from Pixar and Disney and all these other experiences? How you know, here, um, if I was a company with a couple 100 employees, private business, I'm struggling with this hybrid work uh, in person remote thing. How do I, I call you I, I'm listening to this podcast and I, I call you? What's next? What happens?
0: Okay. So let's say it's in person. So you're trying to get people back together. I can tell you exactly what it looked like. Cause I was doing this last weekend. I had 75 officers from the Oregon national guard going through this exact program. And so you've got teams of four huddled around a video game consoles. Everybody's got a controller and they're progressively working their way through coming together, normalizing and, bringing to the surface these emotions that get in the way and they're relearning how to work together. And why I love video games and a cooperative game is that as soon as you get good, the two knobs are uncertainty and urgency. If I can just get you a little unbalanced and put pressure on you, you're going to feel it. And what we want is you to be aware of that and then how we can support each other so we can learn together because adults hate to learn in front of other adults. But we will if it's safe. So if I make it safe for you and you make it safe for me, then now we are a force to be reckoned with. So progressively in loops, we get a concept, we play, we review the concept. So we go through loops of learning, but it's applied. It's like being in a batting cage. Like if I was going to teach you how to swing a bat, but I never let you hold the bat or step in the cage, what did you learn? So when we go through this program, they get that opportunity to have that experience even if you just put people into play together, we've done this with a few weeks ago, uh, teachers getting back in the classroom, hugely stressful. And they've got professional development days. So we were one of their rotations. and The teachers would come in and they talk about being in teams, but it's very isolating. You go into a classroom by yourself to teach. So we got them to play together. And just having the play was like when you hear adults laugh at work, it is one of the greatest things ever. And I'm telling you, both of these groups were laughing and giggling like little kids as they were going through these challenges. And what they walked away with was at a bare minimum, they had fun, but also a better relationship of the people around them. Because these kind of games, there's games you could get yourself, Overcooked 2, um, Move Out, Tools Up. Um, there are no right answers that's there's lots of right answers so you have to work it out and like in the the cooking game any chef can do any task but no chef can do every task you will have to work together and all of a sudden when you get to practice collaborating and failure is nobody expects you to be good at it right you should fail at this it takes the sting off of it and it lets you suddenly realize, oh, it's okay, we can figure this out together. And when you get practice in that space, now you're having fun. If you were doing it online, you pop open a laptop and we developed a special web-only game that is like, you don't have to buy anything or create an account, you just jump in. We put you in a Zoom room with or a Google Meet room or Teams room with your other teammates, and you jump in and you get to go through the experience and play together. So you're hearing each other, you're communicating in real time, and you can even do this hybrid. If you can be on a video call for wherever you're at, you can participate in this thing. And so now you're having that collaborative experience working towards a common goal and reconnecting. And what are we doing? We're all doing the same activity. So we're synchronizing. Unplanned, unstructured, because I'm not telling, I'm telling you how to play the game, how to control the game. I'm not telling you how to play it. You have to figure it out. That is, you haven't even seen it before. So you're like, oh, what do I do? How, do, how are we going to do this? You're now going through that normalization, that storming norming. And because it's something you're all doing, you have to participate, you're forming new memories. So literally, we're getting you information, let you play, then come back and then reflect and compare. How does this actually relate to what you do at work? And almost every single time people are like, oh, yep. It's like this, it's like this, it's like that. And a minimum what they walk away with is nerfing that bozo bit. That um, Microsoft is one of my favorite terms. Is like, we all know why we do something, at least we think we do. But you see somebody else act, and you're like, what? what is that about? And if you're not careful, especially in a digital environment, you'll go, they're a bozo. That person's an idiot. That makes no sense. But if you go through an experience like this, you begin to understand the better way to handle that is to stop and go, wait, what's happening for you? I don't understand. I'm missing information. Help me see the world the way you see it. And that starts laying that foundation for practicing, helping people feel seen, heard, known, and accepted. And The more we do that in our teams, my experience has been, we get way tighter teams. We get a much healthier culture and, People that are more willing to take risks, people that are more willing to try new things and experiment, and you know, we engage the whole person.
3: And I think, Scott, that's where I was going to go and, and just make a follow-up comment there is I think what I'm hearing from you is this isn't just about, yeah, it, it is important to have fun so that people are engaged, but there's this whole other level of having people exercise cognitive muscles that right. often don't get worked in the work that they do it's you're using different types of skills that can help you become more creative and innovative and think differently putting you in front of novel tasks and you have to problem solve your way through it without using any kind of prior knowledge like those are things that really challenge people to think in different ways probably that's very different from some of the mundane tasks that they often do at work is that right
0: well it's i agree yes I mean, exactly. And it's that practice of where did you learn to be on a team? Where did most of us learn to be on a team? Look at Gen Z. Where are they learning to be on a team? By 11 years old, 70% of those kids have fallen out of team sports. And they're never really on a team again until they go to work. And so when you talk about practicing cognitive skills, there's absolutely skill sets around socialization and communication and working together. And I, I'm just a huge fan of using this technology platform that has been created by, you said, $170 billion year industry. For 20 bucks, you can buy a copy of one of these games. Okay, it might be a few hundred dollars to get a console, whatever. That's why we take care of all that, right? Game Truck, like they'll bring it all and take care of it. Or like I said, we can do it online. It's a fraction of the billions of dollars that are spent every year to develop this technology you can have access to it and take advantage of it. Because here's the funny part, you said this earlier, and man, I just so totally agreed with you. Video games are literally work that is engineered that people will play, pay to do, because they perceive it as play. But watch a kid playing Minecraft, get into some of these very strategic games. They're incredibly grindy. It's one of the number one pieces of advice I give parents if they're worried about how much their kids play video games. Talk to your kid like they're a project manager, like it's their job. You'll have radically different conversations. And we we talk about gamification. Yeah, we're adding little stickers and other fun things about it. But part of this shift, we have in-office work and remote work. And sometimes people want to do both, three states of work. We're used to thinking in business of best practices, only one best way of doing things. And what we know from the video game industry is that people need to choose what works best for them. A game like Smash Brothers has six styles of characters that can all dominate that game. Six styles of play. That's six best practices that all work. And that's part of the stress we're experiencing is we're used to there's only one. And we're moving into a world where the workers are demanding, no, if you want my best work, then I need to work this way. And one size fits all doesn't work anymore. And the companies that can adapt to that are winning. And to me, Google did this cool project called Project Aristotle. Um and what they learned is what really builds the best teams doesn't matter if they're remote or in person. It's about how we communicate and treat each other and the relationships we form. And that's the piece where I think play could be a powerful tool to help accelerate those interpersonal connections that make team work so much more effective and enjoyable
1: you are listening to geek skeezers googleization and we got scott Novis on as our guest today fascinating conversation about play i can hear my older baby boomer po- uh, peers saying i don't pay people to play to have fun uh, i pay them to the work so i'm going to pay them more and then they need to work more uh, uh, so we can't wait to continue this conversation, Scott. As your, as your lap. For those of you who are just listening, you can see Scott laughing at me. But we're going to take a real quick break here. Uh, we're going to hear from our sponsor. We're going to hear a little bit about adaptability, which fits into this real well. We're going to come back and we're going to continue our conversation with Scott Novis from GameTruck.com. For most of us,
2: change is freaking terrifying, and unfortunately. There's no app to adapt. That might change in the not-so-distant future, but for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock, and there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us, And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny, in this never normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert.
1: And welcome back, everyone, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Uh, we're talking about fun and games and adaptability, uh, and I just want to make sure that everybody's aware. Uh, you can go to AQ Plus Mindset. Uh, .com. That's our new 30-day micro-learning coaching experience for growth mindset and fits in perfectly what we're talking about today. If you go to that, uh, it will take you to the registration page. You can learn a little bit more. And there's also a discount code there. We're offering as an introductory offer, 33% off. This fits into this conversation so well today.
0: I was I've just gotten... thinking that. I was like, oh, yeah, VUCA, absolutely.
1: Yeah, that. Yeah. That's been, uh, that's my theme. Um, Now we talk about never normal because people understand never normal more than VUCA, uh, but we're living in never normal. Uh, You know, Scott, as you were talking about the variations, the three, uh, the three, I guess, environments that we live in, uh, in person, remote and hybrid. And then you look at hybrid and there's, there's Multiple variations of hybrid, because people are still mm-hmm. arguing about the four-day work week. There's they're working. They're arguing about the three is a three-two-two-three, two, two three, you know, whatever that is. And I, I love what you talked about is that there's no best practice. I talk about that all the time when I talk about VUCA, as we talk about we move from a world of simple to complicated to complex. And when we're in a simple world, best practices work, and that's what HR and that's what a lot of business people want to operate in. They want to work in this simple environment we want to simplify things and so we're going to have a single best practice if you follow my rules if you follow this process it will work and long time ago we realized that wasn't going to work anymore because we moved to complicated and in a complicated world we had good practices they didn't always work we had to massage them. we had to tweak them Uh, when we're living in a complex world which we absolutely are people can argue about that uh, we, we need to simplify simplify complexity but the best we got are evolving practices. Right. I don't know what they are. I mean, we, we have to to be experimenting and growing. And and obviously this, you know, what you're talking about is introducing gaming. And as I close the first part of the show, you know, talking about, I can hear my baby boomer, you know, peers talking about is I don't pay people to play. I don't pay people to have fun. They come here to work and I'm paying them good money and I'll give them more money if they stop playing. And yet that you're certainly offered a compelling argument. Well, it depends what
0: business they're in. If they're in a business that is linear manufacturing and consistent, then carrot and stick, extrinsic motivation, they work because that type, that mindset focuses people. However, if you're in a complex environment that is constantly changing and you need people to think, um, how do you do that? And what we've learned is that, you know, firing up the prefrontal cortex is an expensive operation. We're all cognitive misers. We don't like to do it. But in order to do it, we have to be safe because thinking consumes all of our attention. It really does demand our focus. And if we don't feel safe, we won't do it. And it's one of those ironies that if you're insecure about your environment, you feel threatened personally. That's that acceptance thing. The I can't prove my worth. I won't be accepted. If you get into that little loop, you lose your mind when you need it most. And so what we've learned about play, and this is the the primer, it's a more efficient way to bring somebody to a mental state where all their faculties, we know people are more creative. They're more open. Like, If you have a business that would benefit from convergent thinking, you need everybody to zero in on the right answer, then your boomer friends are right on. But if they happen to be in a business where they need open thinking so that they're more aware and they're more responsive and they're more resilient then they're just driving their business into the ground and they're going to be at a massive competitive disadvantage to the companies that are able to unlock the creativity i mean look at because here's the thing right a lot of the companies that talk about what you talk about they'll go back to the sports analogy sports dynasties don't last They just don't look at the bulls. They're like, oh, watch the the last great dance. Scottie Pippen still isn't over what happened to him. You want to talk about damaged relationships. Pixar, as a business, has cranked out more original properties that were record-setting globally, and they've been doing it since 1995. There is not a sports team on the planet that can rival them for, and, and they do it in an insanely competitive market, motion pictures so if which one do you want do you want to have maybe limited short-term success that's going to burn out that's what the math says or do you want to produce something that's amazing and sustainable that can last generations walt disney's imagineers were hiring their grandkids because they never left it was that much fun to work there and I think disney stands out as a company that's been inc- incredibly innovative It has delivered amazing value over a very long period of time what's your model what are you aiming for
1: yeah i, I love i love the smart analogy because they often would say about the chicago bulls everybody says there, there's a team but they you had a group of mvps individuals and you, you got to give Jackson a tremendous amount. I mean, it was about a leader. If you want diversity and you want a bunch of all-stars, then you better be the top of your game as a leader. But most people would not be able to tolerate. They can't tolerate one Maverick. They can't tolerate one superstar with an ego. Can, and, and yet they had three, four, uh, and you know they, they did quite well. Um, but as you said there was a lot of uh you know there's a lot of hard feelings uh that are still there it wasn't it wasn't all um roses
0: you know i had the great privilege of coaching from like little league up through high school and my experience for most teams is that a well-functioning team will outperform a bunch of talented individuals and we won a lot of championships with that approach and so that shapes my thinking what helps people work together the best um you know the nba is the elite of the elite of the elite most businesses many businesses aren't that's just the reality right there's just a lot more opportunity out there and so what tools can i have to give me an advantage over my competition and having the best team that works together the best there's some science behind this um the best performance, and I don't know if you've seen this before, like individual performance, um, take uh, on paper, they're all identical. Yale, computer science, grads, they're all A students. That the work one student spent to get an A, the slowest student took 10 times as long. So the 10 to 1 ratio. IBM used to run this software contest where they get teams around the country and they gave a software puzzle and they'd have to solve it. The team difference was 2,000 to 1%. When you put people together in teams, those individual differences get amplified. It's an exponential function. That meant the fastest team, on paper an HR department would not be able to tell these groups apart. They were identically qualified. But in performance, one team took a week, the other team took two and a half years to complete the same task. It matters a lot. That was why Google dug into Project Aristotle. When they trained everybody on leadership, under Project Oxygen, they saw no difference in performance in the business. They were stunned. So, like, what on earth is going on? That's what caused them to dig into psychological safety and team culture, because that's what unlocks peak performance is. Can we learn in front of each other? Can we adapt? Can we be resilient? The mindset you talked about um, at the break, that's exactly it. Um, I'm trying to add to that by saying, let's practice it. Let's practice it in an environment where your professional persona, your professional career, your professional identity is not at risk. It's a game. You got nothing to lose. We, we say
1: this every week. This, this goes, we, we just sort of get into the good topics, you know, so at the end. And so we're going to absolutely have to, <laughs> have to have you back. Uh, this has been fascinating. I do have one other question that relates to that, though, As you talked about the different mindsets. Have you seen uh, you talked a little bit about industry. So you, you talked about how this worked in education um, and, you know, in some other environments. What about generations? Have you seen? And, and I only bring this up from the beginning. You, you talked the the thing that men miss from being remote is the competition, the opportunity to yes. be promoted, um, that that opportunity to be recognized. What women miss or what women like about the workplace is the or, or about remote work is that collaborate. They've learned to be more collaborative and connected uh, to people. So you, is that men miss the competition, women yes. don't miss the competition. They find, found it safer to be remote. Um, have you seen a difference in in your teams and your work between genders?
0: It's, I, I haven't. Um, what I've observed is for competent, we try to replace competition with challenge. Um, and so that people are absolutely challenged. And then what we found is that because we make time for socialization, um, we make time, you know, one, certainly like every month there's sort of uh, an event um, that brings everybody together. And we found we split it kind of introvert extrovert is the extroverts really want to interact with other people. And so we create opportunities for that. And then we create opportunities for recognition, Um, internally for the hardworking introverts, and we give them the biggest challenges. And um, a sign for me, like one of the things that we do at our company is we have, because we're on Slack, uh, but it could be any of those platforms, we have a raise a hand channel, which means anybody at any level can hit that button and go, I have a problem and I'm stuck. And that's the biggest sign of the health of my business, because I see it, everybody sees it, it means people are willing to say, there's something wrong. I need help. And we'll swarm it and fix it. Every time that happens, our business gets better. So I don't, I haven't split it on gender lines, um, the way you have. But now that you've made me aware of it, I'm going to start looking for it.
1: (laughs) That's definitely cause for a follow up, Scott. Absolutely. Yeah, Jason, you had one more question. Uh, Yeah, absolutely.
3: We're gonna get ready to go to our lightning round here in just a few minutes. But little throwback okay. here to Motley Crue. I'm going to call you Dr. Feelgood. All right, Scott. Oh, you're okay. Good here. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are probably wondering, okay, Dr. Feelgood, Scott, if you get out your prescription pad, what would you prescribe to us as an organization in terms of how often should we be doing the type of activities you're talking about today, like you do at the, the game truck? Can you kind of lay out, kind of put a plan for most businesses should probably look like for the types of engagement you're looking at and you've discussed today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's what I've seen. I see the most pushback, not from the leaders or the managers, but from the rank and file employees. They don't want to take the time to do it. So what we've seen that's been effective is to fit it into a lunch hour um, and at most, at very most, once a month, um, quarterly usually is pretty impactful. And what we've seen is, you know, buy everybody a meal so that they're sort of that kind of simulated breaking bread together. But having an activity to do as a group um, in the call creates that sort of synchronization, unstructured conversation and new shared memories. And so at a minimum, um, you know, I would say, you know, getting in an hour at a lunch break. Everybody's got to eat lunch. Just synchronize one of them. Um, A lot of groups, uh, we've got an event next week with an international company, really innovative business, but a huge chunk of their teams in the Philippines. And they're actually, and they're expanding into other countries. Like, how do we get more synchronized? So We're going to do an event. They have quarterly calls and we're going to manage it for them. So intentionally carving out that time and fitting in circadians, an overused word, but a normal human rhythm. Like, look, you stop and eat. We're going to do something together and we're going to give you an incentive to share together. And that's the the, the most effective thing that I have seen um, is making it where it doesn't feel like such a hurdle. Like getting a half a day for somebody is almost impossible today. Um, you know, two hours is a big chunk of time and a long time to be on Zoom. So just fit in an hour anything you can do um and the other one is and we do this at the start of all of our meetings is a check-in uh personal you know just check-in. how are you doing what's happening for you show you care you know um that is that the things that used to happen organically by being in the office we just have to be so much more intentional about them but that's my what i have seen be the most effective
3: perfect great advice and with that we're gonna segue over to our lightning round now Scott. Um, Ira and I always say, we can't believe how fast the time goes by and here it is. We're already to the lightning round. So we're just going to ask you a few questions here to get to know Scott Novus on a more personal level and help our listeners get to know you better too. Are you ready?
0: I'm in, let's do it. All right, All right,
3: let's do it. If you won the lottery tomorrow, what would you do?
0: Oh, uh, what I'm doing right now. Um, I'm just, I love, uh, connecting and helping people, um, you know, impacting lives by bringing more joy into their lives. And it's like, I just love what I do um, and I keep doing it. I feel like I have won the lottery.
3: Perfect. And what do you think your high school classmates would think about what you're doing now? Would they have predicted this for Scott Novus?
0: Wow. That's such a great question. I doubt it. Um, Ironically, I wasn't really a big gamer in school. Um, And so being involved in video games, Probably would be like, huh, they saw that I was an engineer, but I went into electrical engineering. So I was way more like my first job was a Motorola. Um, So kind of from nerd to here, still a nerd, but more outgoing. Sure. (laughs) So I think they'd be surprised. Yeah, I'm still socially awkward, but among my people, I am a god. (laughs) Did
3: did you think when you were a kid that you were going to be an engineer one day?
0: Um. I wanted to be a maker. I didn't even know maker would be a thing, but I read a book called Alvin Maker by Orson Scott Card. And I just loved that mindset of, I will take things and I will make them better. I always had that orientation. And so being an engineer to me was so, yes, short answer is yes. Cause you could look at the world and say, I can make that better. I can do something with whatever's available to me. That's just always appealed to me.
3: Very cool. And last one here. Um, how about a word of the year? Do you have a word of the year for 2022? I
0: do. Momentum.
3: Nice. I like that.
0: So that's, uh, I think it's all about uh, what we can do to build momentum. Even if you start small, all run rates start at zero. But if you can keep building momentum, you know, it kind of brings up that Jim Collins flywheel point. So what are we doing to build momentum?
3: Perfect. Well, Scott, we can't thank you enough for joining us and, and our listeners today. And before we we get ready to to send you off, Just again, how can people get in in touch with you and learn more about you and your team and the work that you're doing?
0: Well, thank you. Um, Email me at hello at scottnovus.com. Hello at scottnovus.com. That is the easiest way to get a hold of me. And if you just go to my website, um, you'll find connection to the workshops we do, uh, links back to the companies I own, and uh, blog posts on the stuff I'm talking about. I write about it every week.
1: Scott, it, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it was great meeting. I'm sure it sounds like there's a lot of follow up we we might be able to do together. Uh, so we, well, this is a blast. So much
0: fun. Yeah,
1: and, and loved having you. And uh, it's, it's a conversation we want to continue to have uh, with you on online and offline. So hopefully uh, others will do the same. So I really appreciate you taking the time out and being here today. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Jason and Ira. Absolute blast. It was a
1: total honor to be here. Okay. Thanks, Scott. That was a fun one, Ira. It, it was fun and games. Yeah, it's fascinating the industries he, he's working on. You think of some, um, you know, and I know you you've got a tie into education, um, but to think that you know teachers are get, getting back into that environment, how this has worked, uh, certainly with manufacturing, uh, you know, manufacturing is really technology. And and one of the questions I didn't I, I didn't get to ask, but I assume is you would think that tech companies would be more receptive to this maybe than more traditional manufacturing but i but i'm not sure anymore because technology manufacturing is technology um so I, I can see where this isn't just a, a white collar uh in you know tool uh but this can be used down to you know helpful for everybody and especially since uh, young you know generally young younger generations and anyway, when i say younger anybody grown up in the last 25 30 years uh or more uh, has grown up with gaming And and they're they're used to that. And yet it was going back to my old baby boomer friends. You know, we don't we don't pay people to play. I'll tell you what blew my mind today that he shared. And I've
3: never thought about this before. He was talking about how kids do team sports, but then most of them are done with team sports before they even get to high school. And so then the next time they're part of a team is when they get a job. And so there's this like latency period in between there where you're just focused on individual achievement, and you're not really working in cohesive groups towards a common goal, on something. And I'd never thought about that before, but that makes tremendous sense in terms of where there's opportunity, um, not just at work to help people work on teams, but can we better prepare students once they're not doing team sports anymore? Can we get them involved in something like esports? or gamification of some kind to work in teams, to work those muscles before they do enter the workforce and they have to work on a team in some
1: capacity. Well, and the first generation of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, which was my book, and I was doing a lot of talking about the different generations, people complained about the kids playing games all the time. Adults is all they want to do is they want to play games. And until I introduced that, you know, that like gaming design, and this was, back uh, this was 15 years ago or, or so and it said you know that g- going to school for gaming design that at early on, I don't know what it is now, but people are graduating from some of the schools with a gaming degree and making six figures or up uh, right away. And it wasn't that they were in startups, they were just in demand and applying gamification to business. And like everything else, like that exponential curve, it's a very, very slow uh, evolution up to the point where all of a sudden uh, it's it's basically uh, common knowledge or or it's it's commonplace uh, for people to do it. But it, it's absolutely true. I mean the, the, thing, the other thing that that the one takeaway that I had, and then I know we we need to kind of wrap things up. The one takeaway that I had was that so many things that you and I talk about every week and we talk about with our guests at one time was just, we had a hunch or you know, that you, that, that people work with a certain group of people and you did a case study and there was a relationship uh, that if you, if you did A, B happened. And now we're finding the relationship that this really does impact our brain. And as we were talking about the free, the, the prefrontal cortex of how do we stimulate, how do we change that? How do we get a response? Um, that, there's, there's actually neuroscience i mean there's science behind this that it works it's not just that oh a bunch of gamers and and here's somebody who loves gaming you know develop the product uh and sells it to us because we're all suckers no it's true i mean it actually does work and now we can go back and and figure that out so uh again every every week every guest we have is really going back to that neuroscience and it's no longer just gut instinct and a hunch. And I think this will work. Why don't we try this? Um, you, got, you got to go with the data. We say that all the time.
3: Absolutely. And we say this all the time too. The time quickly got away from us today, but what a fun conversation. We want to thank you, Googleization Nation, our listeners for tuning in today. If you haven't subscribed on your favorite podcast
1: platform, please do so and also leave us review. I'm Jason Cochran signing off. And I'm Ira Wolf. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. If you're not a member of our community, uh, please go up GoogleizationNation.com. And until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans.